There's an expression about the preliminary fight or matches that happen before the main card. There's a term, you know, if there's a, a fight card, a boxing, whatever it is, UFC, and there's the little matches that happen before. What's that called? Say it out loud. Undercard. Who said that? Thank you, Rick. I feel like today I'm a little bit the undercard to the vote. Uh, I'm not saying God's word is the undercard. I, I'm just saying my presentation of it. Um, and with that in mind, I, I made sure that I didn't start any new series or anything like that. This is kind of a standalone sermon today, and hopefully it continues to, to minister to you. But I have to admit, I feel a wee bit like the undercard. So you're in Hebrews chapter 10, right? We're not sure who wrote this uh, letter. Uh, a lot of people think the Apostle Paul did, and it's possible Generally, Paul identifies himself uh, in his letters as either the one who, you know, um, dictated it or occasionally the one that wrote it in his own hand. He'll say that stuff. It, it doesn't say that in Hebrews. Obviously, because of the content of the letter, it's somebody that is very familiar with the Israeli religious system, the Jewish uh, religious system as it was uh, being experienced in, in real time back in the first century. And then, of course, going all the way back, of course, to the tabernacle and to the temple and to the Levitical priesthood and all of that. This person obviously had a really good grasp of the theology and the teaching of all, all that goes on there. So Paul would have had that as a Pharisee, so it could be Paul. I don't think it matters a great deal to us. Uh, the letter, of course, the, the authority of it stands alone as part of the Word of God for us. But let me read the verses that I want to share with you today. Again, everything is kind of behind me on the slides, but I want to read it for you. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. I'm reading from the 84 version of the NIV. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me read it again because it's brief. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I want to deal with the, the last part of um, these verses as the writer speaks about the day approaching. He says in verse 24 that there are some things that we need to keep on doing and to remind ourselves to keep on doing and to encourage ourselves to keep on doing. And in the backdrop of this, uh, one of the, the significant reasons for that is, is that the day is approaching. So the good question to ask, obviously, then, is, well, what day is, is he speaking about? Obviously, it's not just, you know, a Monday or a Friday or the weekend or anything like that. He, he's speaking to something that is of some significant uh, spiritual importance, a, a significant event that's spoken about in the Bible. And, of course, I'm not going to take all kinds of time this morning 
to exegete that. If you want to know a little bit more about the day of the Lord, I'm doing a Bible study on Wednesdays and Thursdays on Revelation. And we're just getting into that now in Revelation 4, 5, and 6. So if you have a real interest in that and you have time, that's available either Thursday morning or Wednesday night. We're getting into that in, in a lot of detail. So the writer says this, that we need to do those things, and I'll come back to those things in a minute, as we see the day approaching. Well, what day? It's referred to here in many places in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, as the day of the Lord, sometimes Jacob's trouble, sometimes it's referred to as uh, the day of judgment. But basically what the writer is speaking to is the end time events where God wraps things up. The, the period of time where there's going to be a great difficulty, uh, tribulation, all kinds of difficult times on the planet, as God is kind of winding up the clock for this present day earth and the plans that he has for us at this time. And as I said earlier, the book of Revelation takes us through that beginning in chapter 4 all the way to Revelation 22 to the new heavens and the new earth. So the day of the Lord is speaking to a time upon the, this earth where it is going to be very difficult to serve God, where there's going to be an increase of evil, where there's going to be religious apostasy, where it's going to be just a real, let me, let me give you the Greek word in English, it's going to be a real mess. Let me give you some scripture verses that back that up. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, the Apostle Paul is the writer, and he's writing to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, Paul writes this, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days, and people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. My daughter's in the room, so I'm liking this ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, I'm getting tired here, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. So Paul is writing here about the condition of people's characters and what's going on in the planet, but it doesn't stop there. Again, Paul is the writer. This time it's 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Bible says this. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, or in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So it talks about the impact on the church. It talks about the impact on, on kind of society as a whole. And this is, this is what the writer is writing about in Hebrews chapter 10. As that day approaches, as those times approach. So there are terrible times, there are difficult times. And so what the writer is getting at, because we know things are going to get worse, not better, we as Christ followers need to take care of ourselves and we need to take care of others in the faith because we are heading into challenging times and your faith is going to be challenged and your perseverance is going to be challenged and your stick to itness is going to be challenged. I mean, it's just, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a really hard world with all kinds of forces pressing against us to abandon the faith and to abandon our walk with God. So that being said, 
all the more as you see the day approaching, he says to us, this is what we ought to do. How can we guard against that? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another again and all the more as you see the day approaching. Spurring one another on. We're called in the body of believers to spur one another on. Now that's important at any time. But again, what is in the background of all of this is as we're moving forward in time, as we're getting closer to the end times, as we're getting closer to the day of the Lord, it's going to be more and more important for us to spur one another on. If you take this word spur and you go back into the, uh, the original language of, of, the, of the New Testament, the Koine Greek, spur has this feeling to it, this impression to it, that we need to provoke one another in a nice way, obviously towards love and good deeds, as the text is talking about. So there is a sense of positive provocation in the right direction. Now, the reason why I word it that way is this is more than a, hey, come on, come on, try harder, attend better, love more, work more. It's more than some kind of, you know, common, familiar, little pat on the back or, you know, little punch into the shoulder. Hey, let's all work together towards this. It's, it's, a lot more, it's, it's a lot more directed than that. And that's why the word spur is on. You can imagine, and I mean, I'm not condoning this, but I know some of you ride horses in there. Uh, I don't know if you use spurs anymore. I don't know if that's an outdated practice. But if you're a horse and you get spurred on, you know what that means, right? Somebody takes their cowboy boots with spurs on the back and sticks that in your ribs you know what it is to be provoked or spurred on towards whatever it is that they want, the writer wants you to do. So here's this. We're not going to put on spiritual spurs, and we're not going to try to stick some of us in the ribs, okay? But, but in a positive way, we have the responsibility to spur one another on. If it's possible that because we're, we're heading closer and closer to the end times, and if it's because of that, because practicing faith seems more difficult or there's more opposition, and maybe sometimes like in this day and age, because let's remember, this was about the first century church too, not just about the 21st century church. If some in those times needed to be spurred on, here we are 2,000 years later, here we are obviously much closer to, to the time where it's going to be wrapped up here, that we need to be spurred on sometimes because some of us, in a sense, kind of run out of a little bit of spiritual gas. Some of us run out of the perseverance that we need. Some of us are bending to the pressures or to the discouragement of the days in which we live in, or the fact that people are anti-faith and sometimes in our grill about that and, and see us as kind of, you know, bigoted, racist, whatever kinds of folk in the church because we, we don't believe in this and we don't practice that. And so there's hostility towards us sometimes. And sometimes people out in the world feel that there's hostility from the church. And so there's this, there's this uh, uh, perfect uh, meeting of, of these forces that, that sometimes, you know, weigh some of us down. And we wonder, is it, you know, maybe I'll just practice my faith quietly. 
or maybe I just won't practice my faith at all, or maybe I'll just step aside from the active church and I'll try to fly under the radar as things are getting more and more difficult. And some people, we know that this is telling us that some people, because of this, are losing some of their spiritual fortitude, and this is what is happening, that they're, they're, they're waning in their love and they're waning in their good deeds. So for the first part of this, it's let's spur one another on to better love, Christ-like love, that agape love that comes from the Father, and let's also continue in our deeds to continue to do good deeds because as I preached not that long ago from Ephesians, right? Ephesians 2 and 10 tells us this, that we are saved by grace through faith, but that all of that was prepared in advance for us to do because God wants us to be doing good deeds. We're saved to do good deeds. We're not saved by our good deeds, but we're saved to do good deeds. And so here he is encouraging the church even in the first century, as, as there was a lot of hostility towards the church in the first century, sometimes from Jewish segments, sometimes from the Romans themselves. But look, let's continue on toward love and good deeds. Let's not quit loving and let's not quit serving, even though it's hard. And in our day and age, it may even be harder. Exponentially now, it is harder as we get closer to the end times. And so he reminds us that. Spur one another. You'll notice also what he says there. Let us consider. So the thought is this. Give some thought to how you're spurring one another on toward good deeds. Knowing that there are individuals in the church that need a different kind of consideration than others do. So the idea is this, if you have a loved one in, in, in the family of God, if you have a brother or sister in the family of God that is struggling you know, with their love and their good deeds, the idea there is not one size fits all, but it's to kind of connect with that person and find out what it is at this time that's hindering their faith. What is it that's causing them to step back? Why is their love waning? Why is their activity Lessening, And the idea there is to consider each person as a unique individual created by God and, and then let the Holy Spirit guide us into how we could best encourage them towards the goals that God has for them. And in this particular case, in verse 24, toward the love and good deeds. So you've got a friend, you've got a loved one, you've got a brother or sister in the Lord that seems to be struggling take some time to pray about, hey God, what would be the best means for me to approach them and to encourage them and for them not to feel like I'm judging them. We're touchy about that in the church. If somebody has um, an ounce or a gram of what feels like criticism towards us, we are touchy about that because we feel like people are sitting or standing in judgment about us. And there is a tendency, I think, as we get closer to that day, that we don't want to be as accountable to the body that maybe, um, to some degree, that is unhealthy for us. And so we get defensive right away and we think or say things out loud. Well, who are they to say? And I'm sensitive to that. I can appreciate that. So if you do have a brother or sister in the Lord that seems to be struggling and waning in their love and waning in their good deeds, the Bible says, look, consider how you can do that well. 
If the goal is to encourage them toward love and good deeds, then do that in a way that is most likely going to create the most positive pathway to that rather than create another barrier. And that's challenging with people, right? That's challenging with folks like us. Now, so just so you know that when I say people, I'm not really talking about people, right? I'm talking about who? I'm talking about us, right? I'm being diplomatic when I say people, but you're smart enough to know I'm talking about us. You know this to be true. This isn't hypothetical stuff. This isn't for the other church stuff. This is about the dynamics within our own body of believers. And so the goal here is to encourage and to move people closer to Christ, not further away. And so we want to consider how we can give that. Give that some thought. Let us consider or perceive how that might best be done. We are trying to point people towards greater love and greater good deeds, not towards leave and goodbye. Then it says, there's another thing that we're supposed to do. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let me just deal with the first part of that. Let us not give up meeting together. It's interesting that even in the first century, even that, that, that proximity to Christ and all of the, the new things and the good things that are happening in this body they called the church, as there was greater levels of persecution as they move halfway through and into the latter half of the first century, there were people saying this, I don't know if I want to do this Jesus thing anymore. There's opposition. Depending on what city or town you lived in, there could be opposition from those in the synagogues. And of course, there was always the Roman influence of Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't say the chant, and if you didn't live towards it, there was the possibility of, of privilege uh, uh, being removed from you, of opportunity be taken from you. And sometimes as we read further on in Hebrews that they even took their stuff because they were Christ followers and they threw a whole bunch of them in prison simply because they were Christ followers. And so what is happening here is some people are doing this. They're counting the cost, which is biblical. I mean, go back and read your Gospels. Jesus himself tells us this, and it's recorded in a number of the Gospels, to count the cost about what it means to serve Christ. There is sometimes a cost to serving Christ. And in different places and in different families, it means different things from being ostracized, from losing possession, from losing uh, you know, uh, privilege, from being kicked out of the family, kicked out of the town, a loss of your ability to serve income. In other places, it's just a matter of, you know what, you're not one of us anymore. We don't like you. We don't connect with you. We don't fellowship with you anymore. There's kind of a, a shunning that takes place. In the workplace, it might be that you're on the outside because you're the only Christ follower in the office. I mean, it can mean all kinds of things. But we know even back in the first century, there were some of them counting the cost and saying, look, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this anymore because uh, serving Jesus is costing me in real time. It's costing me real money. And so they began to kind of drift away. They were meeting the first day of the week, and then all of a sudden they were starting to miss a week 
and one week was two weeks, and two weeks was three weeks, and we no longer saw them at the house meetings anymore, and people started saying, hey, what's going on? So some were giving up meeting together, and he says even in his day here, the writer, that some already at that time were already in the habit of doing this. Now, I've got a picture for you of a meeting. Does that look like some of your office meetings? Not that kind of meeting, right? We ask ourselves, why do some people break the good habit of meeting together? And occasionally there are the persecution issues, and there are the faith issues, and there are the friend issues. But when we're talking about meeting together, and I thought about this uh, last week, to me it wasn't, it wasn't just the Bible studies and the small groups. It wasn't just the songs and the worship. To me, it, it, it's that... It's what the Bible calls in Greek koinonia. It's about that fellowship. And, and when Paul uses that term, in, in, especially in, in his epistles, he's often talking about our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, our fellowship with God. But there's also the koinonia that takes place between believers. And there is, there is a spiritual dynamic that happens when we meet together. That's why we gather on Sundays in one big group or one larger group. Because we recognize that there is a spiritual dynamic that takes place in that group, whatever the size is, that doesn't happen if we're just kind of doing this on our own. Now, I don't know if you agree with me with that, but, but I stand by that. There is a Holy Spirit connection, koinonia, fellowship, that takes place here. And iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 17, 27. Iron sharpens iron. And I know I've said this before, and it may sound repetitive, but the bottom line is this, that we need one another. Not, not just a few that kind of line up with our way of thinking, because that's not iron sharpening iron. If you only fellowship with those that agree with everything you think, say, and do, that is not iron sharpening iron. What are you afraid of? That's what I'd ask. What are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of somebody else having a contrary thought position? Why are you afraid of somebody maybe holding you accountable? Why are you afraid to connect with other people? Because that's how I look at it. What are you afraid of? That we're withdrawing. Sometimes it's under the blanket, well, you know, they're not believing the right things, they're not practicing the right things, and that's the easy escape button. That's the easy button. I think it goes much deeper than that. I don't think it's about us, I think it's about them. And they're not willing to understand the importance of that koinonia that takes place and that holding one another accountable. And this too, if I may say, just the celebration. I mean, we're, not only do we need one another, but let me say this that we're better together. We're just better together, despite sometimes the differences and the steel rubbing on steel and a little bit of friction from time to time. We're, we're better together and learning from one another and, and because you have something to deposit into my life and I've got something to deposit into your life and the people around you, got something to deposit in your life. I mean, I think that's all very important. Some are in the habit of doing this. Uh, the gist of this is that, and it's hurting them and the body. That's the gist of this. That's not seen as a good thing. But as the day approaches, 
If you isolate yourself from the body of believers, my opinion is this, that you are more vulnerable. You are more spiritually vulnerable to, to deceit, to the doctrines taught by demons of, of 1 Timothy 4, and, and, and to running into doctrine and, and, and practices that, that just aren't helpful to you, and to attitudes that are maybe bringing you down instead of bringing you up. And so he says, as we see that, let's encourage one another. Again, let's not judge one another. Let's not harm one another. Let's spur one another on in appropriate manners. Let's encourage one another because as things get closer and closer to the day, things are going to get harder and harder. And that's the, that's the understanding here. Let me wrap it up. Things are going to get worse, and because of that, things are going to get more difficult. We are going to need the encouragement of one another more than ever, and especially as the day approaches. Also, this means that as we approach the day, that the likelihood of some drifting is, is likely increased. We are going to have to do better with the body, and it's not always going to be easy. So we're going to have to work at it. So are you going to need spurring and encouragement or be giving it? Truthfully is, we're going to give and take. All of us. Me included. You know, we sometimes get into this spiritual hierarchy. Well, there's the leadership of the church, and they're the encouragers, and they're the ones that need to spur others on. And then there's, you know, and then there's the rest of us that are going to have to be encouraged. Look, folks, this goes both ways. You know, there's, there's no kind of spiritual force field around the leadership that, that says that, well, they never need encouragement, or they don't need to be spurred on, or, or things like that, or they don't need to be, you know, provoked into, into better love and, and, and good deeds. I mean, that goes across the board. I was blessed a couple of Sundays ago, or I might have even been last Sunday, to have so many people gather around me and pray for me and my family with all the challenges that we've been going through. I want you to know, I couldn't put a price on how encouraging that was. The only thing I felt bad about that day was my wife wasn't here with me. She was obviously up in the hospital room. But I mean, what an encouragement that was for me. And I'm saying that out loud so that you know that. We all need that. This isn't an us and them. This is an us. We're all going to need this kind of encouragement and all the more so as the day approaches. So, time is up. Let me give you some, some homework. How can you spur someone on today? Think about that. So someone that you can think of. Again, you're not judging them, but you think maybe they could be spurred on. How can you encourage the body today? So some way you can just encourage somebody before you leave the room today or sometime this week. And finally, don't forget your, to keep yourself close to the body because what the apostle is saying that here is this. Together we're better. Together we're stronger. Together we're going to hang in there. Together we're going to persevere. But when we go it alone, we're going to struggle. When we go it alone, we're going to weaken the overall body. When we go it alone, we're going to be at risk. Something's going to happen. And so this is a strong vote from the apostle to strengthen the body of believers, and let's do this journey of faith together.
Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer?